And I mean, as service professionals, we, we always want to, you know, tell the client that everything is going to go smoothly and that we're going to do, you know, we're going to be better than everybody else in the industry and provide them the, the you know, 110% service and white glove service and all that stuff. But I think it takes real strength and real professionalism to say that sometimes things do go wrong and yes. here's what we can do if, if that case arises. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Level Up. Today, we are here with one of our brokerages go-to mortgage agents, and that is Jacob Manischewitz from Outline Financial. Jacob comes to uh, quite a few of our meetings just to keep us updated on the mortgage landscape. And he always has a lot of great information and resources to share. So I figured we'd bring him onto the podcast and, and chat a little bit further about new things that are coming up, what agents need to know about and all that fun stuff. So welcome, Jacob. Thank you for coming. Awesome. Thanks, Katie, for having me. Very excited. Yeah. So maybe we can get started. I know when we first jumped on the call, you, you had started talking about the bond yields and how you've seen them go up, uh, spike up um, over the last week or so. So I think that's some timely information to share with people. So what have you been seeing and what are you doing about it? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, like we were saying earlier, su such exciting stuff. Um, but I think for for our purposes, it is you know important to know. And the narrative, I think, since the beginning of the year in the first few weeks of January, we saw things start to pick up in the market where the the commentary and the narrative, especially kind of by mainstream media, was that rates are coming down this year. Everybody's jumping back into the market. Things are going to get competitive again. And I think everybody got really excited for um, a hot 2024. Um, and that's been the narrative up until very recently when in the last week or so we've seen bond yields jump up. And just for those who don't know, bond yields are kind of a prediction of where the market is going to be in a certain number of times. So we look at the three-year bond yields and the five-year bond yields, which are predictions of where the interest rates are going to be in three and five years. And it kind of um, preempts the Bank of Canada announcements. So when the Bank of Canada makes their announcements, they're looking at bond yields as well as a lot of other data to um, influence their decision. And it's kind of the market's expectation of where things are gonna go. And bond yields had been steadily declining kind of through the last quarter of 2023 and fixed rates were coming down. We saw fixed rates come down about a 1%, maybe even a little bit more depending on the lender um, over November and December and into January and things were looking really good. And we were getting great discounts on our fixed rates for our clients as well. Um, and then in the last week or so, we had a few points of data come out, like Canadian GDP was a little stronger than expected, Canadian employment numbers were higher than expected, and then the most recent um, US inflation numbers came up a little bit higher than expected as well. And all of that has pointed towards the Bank of Canada and the US Fed pushing back their their rate cuts, the expected rate cuts that you know some people were forecasting for March or April or maybe May or June, and everybody was getting very excited about the first Bank of Canada cut. And now it's looking like those are going to be a little further down the road than we had expected maybe a month ago, because the economies are in the US and Canada are both performing a little more strongly than expected. And it looks like we are not going into a technical recession because the last quarter of uh, the Canadian GDP showed a little bit of growth and technically two quarters of no growth is what is uh, 
considered a recession. And we didn't actually see that in Q3 and Q4 of 2023. So it, our GDP grew a little bit, showing that our economy is stronger and pushing back rate cuts a little bit further. So it's not great news. And what we're kind of, what we're doing right now, like Katie and I, we were discussing just before we started was um, booking in our pre-approvals today, yesterday and today has been all about scrambling to book in our pre-approvals for 120 days out from today, because with this upward pressure on bond yields will likely come with increased fixed rates with most lenders, which we're expecting to get announcements and notifications about that, like any time now. So we're scrambling mm -hmm. to get our pre-approvals in so that we can hold those rates for our clients through the spring market, through the next 120 days, so that now these rates are, aren't expiring until June and our clients can capitalize through the spring market, regardless of what happens with the bond yields and with interest rates and with the Bank of Canada announcements. If we do see volatility and a bit of a roller coaster over the next few months, which is looking like what it's what's going to happen, we do have these you know low early February rates locked in for them still. Um, which can be very advantageous um, when you're yeah. competing with somebody who maybe doesn't have that kind of rate locked in. For sure. So in like, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but in terms of difference between rates, like what are you thinking or expecting that, you know, if people lock in now versus wait a few weeks and the rates or the bond yields go up, like what, what, what kind of a difference do you think there'll be? Yeah, so usually when there's a rate change, we're looking at 10 to 20 basis points or 0.1 to 0.2%. So if you had a rate at you know 5.5, you may be looking at 5.7 instead. It's not a huge difference. It could be $50 a month, $80 a month, depending on your mortgage amount. But of course, you no. know, these days yeah. every penny counts. It's especially with first-time buyers. It, you know, yeah. We, we really want to make sure we're getting the lowest rate for them because they need to budget. And that's why we're always looking at fixed rates instead of variable. Um, right. for them as well. But it, it could continue like this and we could see one rate jump and then another one. And the next thing you know, we're back to where we were in November, October or November of last year, where mm -hmm. rates were significantly higher than they are today. We're really in a, in a <laughs> we said we were in a transitional period mm -hmm. for the better. And now we're in more of a transitional period going in a, in the different direction. How long it's going to last really remains to be seen how far it's going to go. Nobody can really tell, but Ideally, it's just kind of we're on a roller coaster and we're kind of hitting the peak and maybe coming back down and yeah. things will kind of balance out maybe towards the summer. Um, but, you know, kind of the long and short of it is make sure you your clients have their pre-approvals in yeah. as soon as possible, because what's going to happen over the next few months is is not uh, something that's easily predictable. Yeah. Do you see a world where rates could go back up or go? Yeah. Go up? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I think I think they they could. Um, it, it's quite possible. I, I okay. think the Bank of Canada is probably as wary about raising rates as they are about cutting them. Mm -hmm. I think ideally they'd like to keep it where they are and hopefully see inflation numbers come down even further before they do make their cuts. Um, right now, wage growth has been coming down, which is one of the things that they look at. It's just over 5% right now. They want to bring that down even lower because if wages are growing at 5% per year, it's hard to hit that inflation target of 2% per year yeah. because people are continuing to have more and more spending power. So there's a lot of economic factors that they're looking at. And um, ideally, those will start to level out and come down throughout the year. But the biggest issue is that the U.S. economy is really chugging along and is very mm -hmm. resilient. Mm -hmm. And we have to follow suit with them to a certain extent. 
And um, yeah. a, a big part of that is that a lot of the average U.S. mortgage holder is not impacted by interest rates as much as the average Canadian mortgage holder, because U.S. mortgage terms are usually 25 or 30 years. Yeah. Your, your mortgage doesn't come up for renewal for 25 or 30 years. So it's not like they're seeing huge swaths of mortgages renewing every year, just like we are in Canada with people who have you know three-year and five-year terms. Every three or five years, your mortgage is up for renewal. So you're going to be much more immediately impacted by any changes in interest rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, credit cards and car loans, just like the U.S. consumer is, is affected on those fronts, but their mortgages, in most people's largest expense, is not as impacted by Fed rate announcements. And so there, the, the Fed has less control over the U.S. economy than the Bank of Canada does in, in that respect. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we do have to follow in lockstep with them pretty closely yeah. because we don't want our dollar to far, fall too far behind. Exactly. So many factors at play. And if it's a lot, it's yeah, a lot. if people yeah. are listening and are like, what the hell is all of this? It, it, I mean, it all plays into it. And like, I think if, if you as an agent are kind of not even understanding, like, I think just for me, it was just trying to understand each piece of it individually. Like how does inflation impact things? How does GDP? And like, you slowly get to be able to understand how the full spectrum really has an impact on things, but it can be a lot. Um, and, and to be able to explain that to your client, I think that's where the value of a mortgage broker, a partnership with somebody that is able to explain this stuff better, obviously than you are, um, is really important. So like in terms of building your own business, what have you focused on and, and, and how important is that relationship with, with the agent? Yeah, for sure. So the majority of my clients do come from realtor referral partners and I, I've fashioned my business in, in the that way of of making sure I'm supporting my my uh, realtor partners as well. Um, it's incredibly important to make sure that you as the realtor are up to date on everything that's going on. It's obviously up to you how much into the technical stuff you really want to get. Um, my job, like like you said, Katie, is to be there as the in depth, knowledgeable person on this economic stuff because people need that financial advice, that holistic financial advice in their life. It's not just about the mortgage, but the mortgage is, a, is an important piece of your overall financial health. And my job is to not only just give, get you the best rate and give the best service, but kind of advise as to how that complements your overall financial health and making sure that the mortgage actually fits into your life and into your goals the way mm-hmm. that you need it to based on your vision for your future. Um, but going back to your question, you know, as the real estate agent, it's good to know enough to, to address the conversation with the client, especially if the client asks like, you know, when, when are we going to see rate cuts or where are rates going or should I buy now or should I wait, wait till rates come down? I'm sure everybody gets those questions. And mm-hmm. as long as you're knowledgeable enough to give, you know, a good answer about that question and say, if you, you know, want to get more in depth about it and talk about budgeting and, and affordability and that kind of thing, I'm happy to introduce you to my mortgage partner and let them take it from there. And that's kind of what our, our strengths and our, our support should be. Yeah. Yeah. That's really important. Um, it, would you say the same thing for people? Like, let's say we have clients or or past clients that are at the point where they need to renew their mortgage. Is this a good time to also do that if they're looking for a three or five year fixed mortgage? Or how yes. does that work? So for the mortgage renewal, so you're asking mm-hmm. like when somebody's mortgage is coming up. Yeah. If somebody's coming up in the next, let's say 90 days, would this be a good time to, to make like to try to get a lower rate um, to, to renew, or I don't even know if that works that way or if they have to renew at a certain time. 
Yeah, every lender is a little bit different. Some lenders will let you renew three months out or four months out from your renewal date without any penalty. Some of them will only let you do that if you're renewing with them as the same lender. Some lenders will let you move to different lenders. Um, every lender is slightly different, but it's never too early to get in touch, I guess, is, is a good yeah. way to answer that question, um, especially just for the advice piece and being prepared as to you know what term would work for you. And our advice is always changing, especially with the volatility that we're seeing in the market right now. You know, our advice last month is different than our advice that we're giving today. You know, whether you're talking about three-year versus five-year versus variable, um, yeah. and it comes down to your risk tolerance and, you know, how much income you have coming in versus what your mortgage expenses are. You know, if, if you're spending 40% of your income on your shelter expenses, then the conversation is going to be different than if you have a small mortgage or you're a very high income earner or something like that. Um, and maybe you have a little bit more risk tolerance. So I think when you're coming up for renewal, the advice is very important. At the end of the day, what I address with my renewal clients is, is like, it's much easier to re-sign with your current lender, which means that there's nothing in it for me personally, but I still like to be able to give that advice and create that, that long-term relationship. And eventually clients realize, you know, having a, a long-term relationship with a mortgage broker is a lot more beneficial than just kind of renewing with the same lender with whatever yeah. rates they give you over and over again. And um, just making sure that that mortgage fits into your life, as opposed to just taking what you think is best or taking what, you know, your family member told you you should do or, or, or that kind of thing. It really just comes down to the advice. And that's um, a lot of the value that, that we bring as mm -hmm. well. So what's the difference right now between variable and fixed on average? Is it pretty big? Like if yeah. you're looking at five-year fixed? Yeah. There is a large gap and, and it's interesting because it's been that way for the last probably a year and a half, maybe even more. Traditionally, variable rates are a little bit lower than fixed rates. Traditionally, like if, let's talk about, you know, 2021, for example, when people were getting bottom dollar rates, you would get a, a fixed rate offer at 2% and a variable rate offer at 1.7%. Unfortunately, what happened to a lot of people is that they took the 1.7% because it was 30 basis points cheaper and the mortgage payment was a little cheaper. But then over the course of 2022 and 2023, they saw their mortgage payment jump up an incredible amount. Yeah. Of course, you know, hindsight is 2020. It would have been better to take the 2% and you'd still have 2% today, yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but again, when your mortgage comes up for renewal this year and you're moving from 2% to 5.5%, it's, it's a bit of a, a shock as well. Yeah. But to answer your question, the variable rates today are actually higher than fixed rates because lenders are predicting rates to come down and they want to make that money off of you in the near term when rates come down in, say, year three, four, and five of that variable term, then you're you're saving on interest, but at least the lender made some money off of you in, in the first two years. So just as an example, using round numbers, we're seeing you know a three-year fixed rate at 54 but the variable rate would be 6.5, 6.6. So there's over a 1% difference right now between variable and fixed and variable is higher than fixed. Mm -hmm. the, the gamble is that you are paying higher interest today, the 6.5% say, but over the next five years, rates are going to come down to the point where you would be saving money instead of taking that 5.5%. Mm -hmm. Uh, it is a risk. It is a gamble. I'm not saying variable is is a bad decision, but for people who are more conservative and who really do need to budget, especially first time buyers who you know they may not have a very high income and are spending a lot of money on this property, I would say fixed rates are where it's at for those buyers because it 
it, it gives them that peace of mind and that security over the next three or five years of knowing what their expenses are going to be. The last thing you want as a first-time buyer is get to the point where you can't make your mortgage payments and you have to think about selling or asking family for help and it's not a good spot to be in. So that's my advice usually for first-time buyers. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I want to be able to educate my clients to the point where they're confident to make their own decision about it. That's yeah. really my goal. Yeah. I wonder if just with the volatility over the last couple of years, if more people will start opting for fixed. I think we've gone so long with such, you know, even keel, nothing really happening that so many people have just gravitated towards variable. I've always like me personally, we've always done fixed and I know we've probably lost tons of, or not lost, but you know, we didn't do as well as the variable, but um, yeah, it's, it's that risk tolerance. And you just hear so many stories about people that are just in really difficult positions and, and wondering how long, like for you do you think you know I I know you hear all this doom and gloom sometimes about people like we're at the point where people aren't going to be able to hold on much longer and if as you said the bond yields have gone up and rates may not go down as quickly as a lot of people think do you think we're in do you think there's do you think we should be listening to the the people that say you know we're going to be in a lot of trouble in a few months because people are are at that breaking point Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's a few things to consider. Um, First of all, statistics are saying that Canadians saved a lot of money over COVID Mm -hmm. and that the average Canadian still has savings. I'm not sure how they conduct these studies, but apparently the average Canadian (laughs) still has savings that they accumulated through COVID. And and that's one of the things that, you know, contributed to the real estate boom is that people saved up so much for their down payment that their affordability, that was one of the reasons why their affordability went up. Um, So I think the average Canadian still has a bit of a buffer, although we are seeing credit card debt increase and bankruptcies are increasing. So we are in a period where we're seeing these negative aspects of the rate hikes come up and and maybe be more influential on the average Canadian. Yeah. The other thing to consider though, is that when somebody got a mortgage in 2020 or 2021, they were stress tested at 5.14% or 5.25%, which means that according to our regulator, they would still be able to afford Mm. on average their mortgage payment if it went up to five and a quarter percent, even though they were actually getting 2% on their mortgage. So today fixed rates are at about five and a quarter, you know, five and a half on, on the three-year fix. So when people are renewing or they have elevated um, variable payments, ideally they should still be able to afford it because they were stress tested at that amount three years ago, four years ago, whenever it was. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying that was the idea of the stress test. And so it kind of did its job to a certain extent. I think Mm -hmm. if people were buying in 2020 and 2021 and not stress tested and actually qualifying for mortgages that were at 2% and the qualifying rate was 2%, I think that we would be in a lot more trouble today um, because people would have way overextended themselves even more maybe than they actually did um, during the COVID period. So I think as much as the stress test gets some flack from people in our industry, um, it really did do its job and has has been enabled a bit of a buffer mm-hmm. to put us in a better situation than, than um, where we could have been today if there was no stress test over the last three years. Yeah. Do you see any improvements that could be made or on the stress test? Do you think it's good the way it is? Do you see any ways that 
you know, could, could make it better? Yeah. So right now we're stress tested at contract rate plus two. So if you're yeah. getting five and a half percent on your mortgage, you're being stress tested at seven and a half. The idea is that if rates continue to go up, you should be able to afford your mortgage up to seven and a half percent. You know, there, there is a camp of people saying we should remove the stress test because it's too hard for, 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 you know, yeah. first time buyers to get into the market. But all that would do is increase people's affordability and push prices up further and increase competition in certain market segments, which is really not what the Bank of Canada wants right now. They don't want the real estate market to explode like it did in 2020 and 2021 um, and have more can Canadians take on more debt because that's not, you know, what is, that's not what they want to see for the economy at the moment. They want to slow things yeah. down and bring down inflation and decrease average household debt and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think there are other ways to go about it. And, you know, this is a little bit political, but like they're, you know, limiting foreign buyers was definitely something that they explored and, you know, has probably had a bit of an effect on the market. Um, you know, in investors who people who own five, six, seven, eight properties, maybe there could be a way for the first time buyer to be able to get in there and buy a property instead of the average investor buying their sixth property or, or something like that. But I think there are other avenues to explore other than the stress test. Yeah. Personally, I think it, it was a good idea and that it did serve its purpose. And sure. what we're seeing today or the lack of negative effects that we're seeing today could be attributed to, to the stress test. Yeah. I may yeah, be in the minority I, there, but. No, I, I, I agree because I, I remember when it started, the stress test came out for, for everybody, not just first home time home buyers and everybody was up in arms. Like, how could this be? What, what are they doing? But look at the position we're in now. And could you imagine if people weren't stress tested to points higher than, you know, that rate, then we would have been, I, I don't know, housing market could have crashed. I don't know what would have happened, but people would have been in a very difficult position. So yeah. I think it had a, had a good effect. It, it served its purpose. It's not ideal, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, the other, the other thing I've been thinking a lot about recently is um, I, I saw a news article a few weeks ago talking about uh, fixed, is it fixed payment variable mortgages? I'm not sure the exact term. Yeah. But how um, many of those individuals, because of the rate increases have started to get, you know, their amortization will extend because they're not, the payment monthly is not going up. Um, it's, it's actually just extending the amortization in the end. And, and some people have even gotten an infinity symbol <laughs> on their, on their mortgage statement, just because wow. it, it got so out of control. Now, I, I don't know how many of those people actually are out there that got that. Um, but can you talk a little bit about the difference between the two and which one tends to be the more common type of variable mortgage? Yeah, for sure. That infinity symbol is definitely not something you want to see on your oh, mortgage. I mean. Exactly. It's very <laughs> apocalyptic. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's two types of variable rate mortgages. We call them adjustable versus static. And so the static payment is the one that you were talking about, the, the fixed payment mortgage. And and so essentially what that is, is you say, you know, you get a rate, it's say, we'll just use 6% here's your mortgage payment at 6%. Now the mortgage payment is not going to change, but if rates fluctuate, the amount of the payment that goes towards principal and the amount of the payment that goes towards interest will change. So if rates go down, your interest portion will decrease and your principal portion will increase. So you're doing more, uh, you're contributing more towards the principal as rates go down. Inversely, if rates go up, which is what we were seeing over the last couple of years, 
the interest portion increases and the principal portion decreases. So what you're talking about with people getting extended amortizations to 50, 60, 70, infinity years is the interest portion of the payment increases to the point where the entire payment is going towards interest. And now they're actually adding on to their balance every payment instead of decreasing their balance because they're being charged more interest on every payment than the actual payment that they're making. And what happens with most lenders is that you'll reach a trigger point, which is a point when the lender has to request that you either increase your payment or make a lump sum payment towards the mortgage in order to keep your amortization somewhat on track. Okay. Now, because of the unprecedented circumstances of the last couple of years, our regulator has allowed lenders to increase the amortization to, you know, within reason, I guess infinity is not reasonable at all, but they, they've increased the, the amortization instead of demanding that the borrower increase their payment or make a lump sum payment. Because some people just aren't able to afford a bigger mortgage payment or aren't able to make a lump sum payment. So yeah. they basically just extend the amortization and increase the balance as you're going through the mortgage. The problem is that when your mortgage comes up for renewal and you want to move to a different lender, you have to then decrease that amortization to um, at, at most 30 years in order to qualify with a different lender and going from a 60 year amortization to the 30 year amortization is a huge jump in your mortgage payment, which right. most people would not qualify for. Um, and so they're kind of stuck on continuing with the same lender at whatever rates that lender is offering them and continuing on that amortization. So that was kind of the downfall of the mm -hmm. static payment. And the other one is the adjustable payment. So what happens is when rates go up, the interest portion increases and the overall payment itself actually increases. So your monthly mortgage payment is going to change with any rates, uh, rate announcements by the Bank of Canada. And at least with that type of payment, you see your mortgage payment go up every month. It's not like you're kicking this can down the road till one day you're going to be in a situation where you have a mortgage for 60 years or the bank is demanding that you make a lump sum payment. At least you see your payment going from $2,000 a month to $2,200 a month. And you're actually physically, you know, making those increased interest payments and being able to kind of adjust and budget your life accordingly, as mm -hmm. opposed to just one day being hit with this huge shock of a, of a bigger payment or um, the yeah. bank demanding that you, you know, make a lump sum or, or something like that. So there, there's pros and cons to both. And people who took a variable are, can be in a, in a very sticky situation at the moment. Yeah. Most lenders, like I said, have been extending that amortization basically as in an effort to keep the borrowers in the green um, mm -hmm. and not have them go into an emergency or distressed selling situation. Um, and that has also prevented, I think, a lot of distressed sales that, that people were predicting or are predicting um, because the variable was allowed to kind of extend the amortization and um, I, I think it's a good thing that the, the regulator mandated that bank lenders enact these programs to help their borrowers get through this period yeah. as opposed to being forced to, for, forcing them to sell. Um, so, you know, it, it's been working in favor of the consumer and mm -hmm. ideally uh, most people can get back on track with, with their payments and their amortization. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, banks don't want to have to go, go to foreclosure. Like they, they want to do what they can, I would imagine to help their borrowers. Um, it's in their best interest too. So for sure. Yeah, I mean, the bottom it, line is that if they remain a borrower, they continue to make money off of them exactly. with interest payments. So yeah. yeah, you're right. Nobody wants to have the reputational risk either of, you know, yeah. saying like CIBC forecloses on 5% of their mortgages or something like that. Like nobody wants yeah. any of that in the news. 
And so yeah. they've been working towards kind of maintaining their, their borrowers um, in, in the state that we're in. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I know when we, you were a part of our team meeting a couple of weeks ago or last week, we were talking about appraisals and I think agents play a, not a big part in the actual process of appraisals, but definitely when it comes to um, assisting their clients and determining the best offer price and protecting them to make sure that they're not overpaying, what do agents need to know about appraisals and how can they assist through the process to make sure that a client isn't going to get caught up with an appraisal that comes in low and obviously impacts the whole wholesale process? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the the bottom line is that you work very closely with your mortgage partner in any situation yeah. where you think the appraisal may come in low. Um, it's part of my job to make sure that the client knows if your appraisal comes in low, here's what we need to have in place to make sure that this doesn't make the deal fall through. And one of the things I will say is that, you know, we need to work closely with your real estate agent to make sure that we are able to get the comps that we need. Yeah. In situations like today, for example, with condos, it's not a huge issue, but if you're looking at a freehold in the range of, I don't know, 1.5 to 2 million, that that's where we're seeing a lot of issues because mm. over the last three, four, five months, the, the industry has been fairly slow. And so we don't have the historical comps, but when you're working with your buyer client and, and trying to determine a fair market value, you may not be looking at comps from the last one, two or three months. You may be looking at you know what's happening now, what's happened in the last week on that street. And if you're setting a new price point for that street or for that neighborhood, and it's very obvious that for your client to win this property, they need to kind of push that, that price point for that area, Mm -hmm. This is when we run into problems because the appraisal for the bank has to look at one comp from the last 30 days, one comp from the last 60, and one comp from the last 90. They can't look at two or three comps from the last two or three weeks. Unfortunately, they have to look at more historical comps. And they adjust slightly for, you know, so if something sold for 90 in 90 days ago, they may adjust slightly for that comparable value. But the the story is that they they come out more conservative just the bottom line is the bank appraisals are always a little bit more conservative we can do what we can to to try and get the value we can always appeal an appraisal another strategy is to wait a few weeks and see if we can get a better comp in there and ask the appraiser to put a better comp in there but if you have a 30-day close for example we don't have a few weeks to wait to get a right. better comp in there mm-hmm so if the situation arises where it's a possibility that the appraisal might come in low, we want to make sure the client has a backup plan to be able to put in the extra down payment that they need, whether it's, you know, they uh, take for something from their investments or they get a gift from family, just making sure that there is a backup plan in place. Um, and that just kind of goes into what is really important in your mortgage partner, which is them setting expectations properly with the, their with your client. They never want to guarantee or promise anything because let's be honest, nothing is guaranteed in our industry, right? Mm -hmm. At the last minute, things could fall through. We do our best as professionals to do as much due diligence up front as possible, but you know we can only do so much and there are external factors that come into play sometimes. What we can do is prepare the client for, here's the worst case scenario and are you able to still make things work in a worst case scenario? And I think setting those expectations for the client instead of just promising that everything is going to work out perfectly in the best case scenario is is a very important part of my job. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I think, you know, good mortgage partners are are very good at 
is setting those expectations with those clients. And so that if you do hit a couple hurdles or a couple bumps in the road, it's like, oh, okay, Jacob told us that this might happen and here's what we're going to do to kind of circumvent it or, or here's our plan B so that, you know, we're still happy and, and, and things are still going to work out. So true. You know, if a, if a client has the, the means to, you know, deal with financially deal with the situation where the appraisal comes in low, if they haven't been given that upfront advance warning of that, the situation and the conversation and the relationship can be, it will be so much different than if a client is fully aware of this is what can happen. So it's just amazing. Like it's, it's that psychology aspect of, of working with people and how giving them that upfront advice and, and information can just make things go smoothly. Even if the appraisal comes in short, it will still go smoothly because the client, you know, knew about it ahead of time. But the moment people don't know about it, it's like, doesn't even matter. I does like, you know, I might have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank that I could throw at this, but doesn't matter. Yeah. You didn't tell me about it. So screw you. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. And, I, and I mean, as service professionals, we, we always want to, you know, tell the client that everything is going to go smoothly and that we're going to do, you know, we're going to be better than everybody else in the industry and provide them the, the, you know, 110% service and white glove service and all that stuff. But I think it takes real strength and real professionalism to say that sometimes things do go wrong and yes. here's what we can do if, if that case arises. And mm -hmm. like you said, as long as the client isn't like blindsided by something, you can still maintain that a good relationship and still make sure that the deal closes on time and, and everybody's happy with the transaction. Yeah. So speaking of that, I think also pre-approvals is another option. Uh, like another aspect of um, the process that a lot of people um, maybe misunderstand or just aren't aware of. So how do you explain pre-approval versus an actual approval um, and, and that whole process when, when people start looking for a home? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I hear from real estate agents sometimes that, you know, so the client's pre-approved, right? So we can go in firm and there's going to be no problems, right? And and it's not it's not exactly the case. Yeah. When when we do a pre-approval, the the bare minimum that happens is that the lender reviews the application, which is just a bunch of information about the client, their residential history, their employment history, and their credit bureau goes into the lender with the the application as well. Not all lenders will review this, but some lenders will review the application and they'll review the credit bureau. If they see anything questionable on there, they will point it out to us and say, hey, you know, when the client has a live deal or when they have their offer accepted, we're going to need these issues to be addressed. So they inform me of anything, any red flags that they might see on the application. What we do at Outline as an extra layer of due diligence is we pre-underwrite the file during the pre-approval stage as well on our side with our team and don't just put the onus on the lender because sometimes things are missed. You know, lenders can get very busy and they just kind of want to uh, you know, get through the paperwork and, and that kind of thing. But what we, what I do personally in the pre-approval stages, I'll collect all of the documents up front from my clients as well. So pay stubs, letter of employment, bank statements, all the stuff you need to send into the lender once you do have an accepted offer. And me and my team will look through all of it and use our expertise to make sure that there was no issues that are going to come up down the road because the lender won't review the pay stubs or the letter of employment or the bank statements in the pre-approval stage. They're just going to look at the application, which is mm. the client telling me I make $100,000. So I put that on the application to send it to the lender. Mm. If we don't have a letter of employment or pay stub that supports that $100,000, then it's not worth the application that it's written on. 
So what we do in the pre-approval stage is a whole bunch of upfront due diligence. And sometimes clients say like, oh my gosh, this is so much paperwork. And another point of setting expectations properly is, is I make sure my clients know like mortgages are a paperwork intensive process where yeah. they're going to ask a lot of questions and we're going to require a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And the sooner I review everything, the more likely to avoid any hurdles down the road. So what we do is we pre-underwrite all of our files in the pre-approval stage so that we know once the client has an accepted offer, we're not going to have any issues. And once they do have an accepted offer, that's kind of when the switch gets flipped to the firm approval. So the pre-approval turns into a firm approval. And then mm -hmm. we go through all of the fulfillment of the documents with the lender and they send the instructions to the lawyer and all this stuff that happens near closing. Right. Um, yeah. But to, to go back and answer your question, the, the pre-approval is... It's, it's a very superficial analysis of the client situation. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that we don't have during the pre-approval process is the property itself. Yes. So we need to make sure that the property isn't going to cause any issues with the lender, whether it's a condo and the status, you know, the reserve funds are good or there's an insurance claim or lawsuit in the building that can come up. So we want to make sure we do as much upfront due diligence on the property as possible before the client makes an offer, especially if you're in a situation where they need to go in without a financing condition. Yep. That's when we need to make sure we have all of our ducks in a row and, and everything before the client makes an offer. If we have a financing condition, it gives us a little bit of a buffer to make sure that all of that's in order. And then at worst case scenario, we can't make it work for the client. We can back out of the deal within the financing condition period. And it also kind of goes back to the appraisal as well. If there's an issue with the appraisal and we order a rush appraisal within the financing condition period and it comes back too low and the client can't make up the difference with their own cash, we can back out of the deal without mm -hmm. any penalty because we're still within that uh, financing condition period. So right. ideally the client has a financing condition. I understand that in some market conditions, that's just not, um, not doesn't make their offer competitive anymore, mm -hmm. which is where, where we are now back to yeah. 2021 again. Um, so yeah, it's all about the due diligence upfront. And again, it comes back to setting the client's uh, expectations properly. Yeah, no, it's so true. And um, yeah, I don't, I, I get frustrated when the market starts to pick up because financing condition is usually one of the first things to, to get taken out of the offer. Um, one thing positive I'm seeing is that even though there's multiple offers right now, I find most buyers are still sticking to a pretty conservative offer price overall. And so even though there might be 10 offers on a property, the, the final selling price is actually within, you know, what you would expect given recent comparables. So I don't know if that will continue. I hope it does um, because at least, you know, things aren't getting out of control from a price perspective. Cause that's when I start to get worried. I remember, I think it was last year when there was a bit of a hold on rates and then the market started to pick back up and it's just like, geez, like what, what is wrong? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what fuels it sometimes, but it can get us into some really um, challenging situations when that starts to happen. So at least people are at least being cautious right now with their offers. So yeah, hopefully for that sure. It's, it, it's interesting that you say that because I, I recently, I've, a lot of my buyers are saying, you know, this is what I think the property is worth. And I don't want to pay any more than this much for the property. Even if, yeah. if the bidding war goes up to, you know, 750, I don't want to go above 720 because I don't think the property is worth more than that, yeah. which is a totally different mindset than what we saw last year or the year before, which is yeah. the client says, what's the maximum I can qualify for? Because that's yeah. what I'm going to offer on the property. Yeah. yeah, Right. And so I think buyers have developed a bit more of a sense of, you know, they saw the market take a dip. 
and yeah. somebody who paid 1.2 million for their house in 2021 and their house today is only worth 900,000 or a million yeah. they see their friends who maybe got into that situation like you know what i'm going to be a little bit more cautious with with my bidding and if we have to let this property go because it's going to go for more than what i'm actually comfortable paying for it whether i can afford it whether i can qualify for a higher mortgage or not this is my you know where I'm stopping. I don't know if you're seeing similar things, but I've been working yeah. with a few clients who have that mindset of like, for sure. I don't want to pay more than this for the property. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, in 2021, it'll be like, can I offer more? Can yeah. I qualify for more? Because that's what I'm going to, I'm going to offer as much as I can. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And it's scary when it gets to that point, but yeah, no, most people I've been talking to even even just in terms of the pre-approval amount, they might be pre-approved for a certain amount, but they're only comfortable up to um, a, a lower amount, which which is good because they're they're definitely realizing like what they're they're comfortable with, what they want to um, put in from a mortgage. I think a lot of people want to have a life outside of owning a home. It's not just about you know paying a mortgage every month. They want to have the ability to pay for other things as well. So um, yeah. I think it's a more healthy relationship with 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 finances and, and with the, the housing costs. So I'm hoping that continues and, and maybe, you know, I know a lot of people unfortunately got into some, some rough spots throughout the last couple of years, but I think this is, was, has also been a good thing in that it's been eye opening for a lot of people in terms of, you know, you can't, you can't go crazy. You can't just spend whatever on a house because it's, it's not just, you know, what's going to happen in, in a month. It's what happens in two years when your home isn't worth nearly as what, as much as what you paid for it and life changes and you want to move and, you know, all these other things, it's like a snowball effect. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think people's timelines have a lot to do with it as well. Like mm -hmm. if you're buying a place that's like, oh, this is my forever home or I'm going to be here for yeah. at least 10 years. It's a much different strategy than if somebody's buying their first condo and they're probably there for two or three years and then they want to upgrade. Mm -hmm. It's it's definitely a different mindset going into how much you're willing to spend and, yes. and analyzing the market a little bit closer to see you sure. know where you're going to be in two or three years because everybody wants to build equity in their property so that you know, they have something to draw yeah. on or a nest egg or equity to use for a down payment to move up or, or something like that. Yeah. I've seen this funny meme lately about um, just not making fun, but just talking about how baby boomers with all their equity, they've built up on their homes for, you know, they've, they spent like, you know, $50 on a house and now it's worth two, you know, $2 million. And meanwhile, all these poor first time home buyers just trying to get into the market. It's so different now. Right. And I know interest rates were 20% back in the day and all that, but it's, it's definitely a different time. Um, you know, I, I think as we progress in this industry, both from the mortgage side and from the uh, the, the real estate agent side, um, it's really about understanding that you know if you're if you're in your twenties, buying a house might not be in the cards. It might be something that you're looking to do in your thirties or forties because the the market's changed so much. The discrepancy yeah. between income and 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 home prices has just skyrocket it's just so such a huge gap now so you can't be expected and then the down payments on top of that you know you can't really find a freehold home under a million dollars these days so to shell out 20 percent it's that's not easy to find or easy to save for so for sure yeah, yeah. saving up for that down payment is, is a huge huge roadblock um, for a lot of first-time buyers. And yeah. there, there's a, a new program that I've used a couple of times. It's called Arboro. I'm not sure if you've heard of them, no, but they're, they're, 
a company that will partner with you on the down payment. And so they'll, if you put in 10%, they'll put in 10% to get Mm. you to a 20% down payment. Um, It's still a new ish program and there's limited lenders that you can use to, to actually do the financing for that. Um, And there's stipulations as to, you know, they own a certain amount of equity and when you sell, they're entitled to a certain amount of equity because they put in equity from the beginning. But Mm -hmm. for some buyers, it does make sense. And I've actually done a couple of deals with them and it's, it's a pretty smooth process and they're still working on it. But if anybody has clients who are just like down payment is their biggest hurdle and they can't have, they don't have help from family. I would say look into Arboro or like get in touch and we can talk about it because I have experience working with them as well. And um, it's a cool new program that's out there and and they seem to be ironing out the kinks and, and um, and working on, working on their, their process. Uh, but the other thing I will say is, is I rarely come across a first-time buyer who doesn't have help from their parents, mm. whether it's co-signing on the sure. loan or gifted down payment or both. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you're a first-time buyer out there or you're, you have first-time buyer clients that you're just, you know, they, they're having trouble or they're feeling guilty about asking their parents for help. Mm-hmm. My advice is, you know, don't feel guilty. They're, yeah. they're there to help you. You know, yeah. that's what family is for and don't let mm-hmm. it push your home buying dreams down the road because you want to you're adamant about doing it on your own accept that help because Mm -hmm. you know if you do end up having kids or whatever you're going to want to help them in the same way it's just about passing it down and you know with the the boomers who have two million dollars of equity in their house and paid 11 raspberries for their house totally what's 50 grand yeah (laughs) exactly it it had like i'd say probably 80 to 90 percent of my um first time buyers have help from their parents in one way or another. So it's, it's a very, very common situation. And, and yeah. I think that's the, the way a lot of people need to get into the market these days. Yeah. Yeah. Just switching up that mindset. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Very good advice. Um, so I know that you have a ton of resources that you offer to real estate agents. So maybe if you can just, as we wrap up, just let people know about that as well as how to reach you um, if, if they want to work with you and, 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 and refer for their clients to you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm uh, Jacob underscore your mortgage broker. And if you want to see pictures of my kids, that's that's where you got to go. <laughs> I do um, actually. <laughs> yeah, check it out. They're, they're cute. Um, but uh, sorry, yeah, that sounded out- creepy. I don't want to <laughs> see your kids from a creepy reason. You just we were talking about. You've got two young kids, and I'm sure they're. You know, I, it's great to get to know people on a personal level as well. So <laughs> yeah, for sure, you got to stand yeah. out somehow. And and let's be honest, exactly. the pictures of our kids are the ones that get the most likes. And I'm it's I'm true. trying not to be offended by it. You yeah, know, my educational videos, whatever. <laughs> I have two you know, likes. Yeah, picture no, of my the same kids. Way. <laughs> Hundreds of comments. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but we do put out a, a very informative, we call it our monthly outline. Um, it's, you know, basically our newsletter and we're always putting out new educational material updates on the rate environment, big bank forecasts, like a ton of stuff that that's, brings a lot of value. So uh, I'm happy to enroll you for that. I'm Jacob at outline.ca if you want to send me a quick email and um, uh, I can add you to that. And if you just want to chat or you have any clients that just want to have a no obligation chat, I'm, I'm happy to do that as well. Awesome. And you also have a lot of great resources like PDFs and guides and, you know, sell first, buy first, um, first time home buyer incentives, all the, all the guides. So, and you're able to, um, you know, off co-brand or whatever it is. So that's, that's really, 
really helpful as well. Um, and yeah. our brokerage has definitely taken advantage of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to. We, we, we do specialize in supporting our realtor partners in a different way than a mm -hmm. lot of other mortgage partners. A lot, you know, you'll get messages from people on Instagram saying, hey, you know, trying to ask for clients or referrals and saying that they provide the best service and the best rate. So we try to differentiate ourselves a little bit and, yeah. um, you know, we, we support our realtor partners with educational material that they can send to their clients. So they look like the experts. We look like the experts and it's very polished and, and good looking stuff. So mm, it um, is having yeah. to co-brand that with you, put your picture mm -hmm. and your information on it and, and you can send it out to your clients. And it's always good just to have a talking point, you know, a yeah. reason to get in touch as opposed to just like, Hey, you know, mm -hmm. are you looking to get into the market yet? Here's, yeah. here's some good resources. And it's like a no obligation kind of like, here's some information and bringing the value. And that's how we set ourselves apart. Um, on both sides, on the mortgage side, you know, you guys on the real estate side, you, we have to stand out somehow. So I'm happy to kind of uh, chat with anybody who's interested. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thanks, Jacob. We appreciate your time as always. Make sure to reach out. We'll also put in the show notes for the podcast, all, all the ways to reach out to you as well. So yeah, it was Fantastic. great to chat with you. Yeah. Your wealth no of knowledge. <laughs> No and I love time. talking this about this lot. stuff. So it's nice when you're able to talk to it about, so I'm sure, I'm sure it's, uh, it's stuff that, you know, you're always talking about, but, uh, you, you come at it from a very, you explain it well, and, uh, it's really helpful to, to understand it, um, from your level and from your perspective. So thank you. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I'll tell you, my wife is tired of hearing about bond yield. So it's nice to, to chat with somebody who gets no, as excited about know. it as me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, have a good day and we'll chat soon. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Katie. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Level up, level up, level up. Level up.